How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? God is good, is he not? He's good all the time, is he not? And he's good to me, and he's good to you. We had a wonderful Good Friday service on Friday evening. Uh, We concluded our 21 days of prayer last night. Last Sunday, my wife preached a powerful Palm Sunday message. And uh, I listened to it, and I was greatly encouraged by it and greatly blessed. I was ministering down in Southern California uh, at my friend Brian Kim's church, Echo Church in Buena Park, California. Very, very powerful and amazing church. Uh, Pastor Brian heard that I was doing a conference down there, and he called me. He said, you've got to stay the weekend and preach at my church. I said, dude, I can't do that. It's Palm Sunday. He said, listen, my wife just had twins. I need help. <laughs> and they already had two kids, so that's four. I told him, I said, you are single-handedly fulfilling the promise to Abraham. (laughs) Descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I want to turn your attention to a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 9. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 9. If you don't have your Bible, don't trip, I got mine. I'll tell you what it says. Actually, I got my iPad. I stopped carrying leather. I'm going digital. Praise him. This is what it says. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The title of my message this morning is, The Resurrection Will Not Be Televised. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us by the power of your word, and that by the power of your spirit, you would implant the seeds of this word into every heart, and that they would bring forth great fruit, that they would be mixed with faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now some of you older folks here immediately recognize the title of my message. Because back in the 60s and 70s, this was a very popular slogan, although the slogan went a little different. The slogan was, The revolution will not be televised. Now in 1970, Gil Scott Heron An African-American poet recorded a poem entitled, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And it became extremely popular. And I did a little Google search and I found that people are still asking the question, what does it mean to say that the revolution will not be televised? And I went and read the poem by Heron. And I did a little research and I found that this statement means three things. The revolution will not be televised. First of all, by the revolution, he was speaking of the cultural revolution or the racial uprising that would bring about the overthrow of oppression. By revolution, he was talking about the downfall of systemic racism and racial oppression. And when he said it will not be televised, he meant three things. Number one, the revolution will not be televised because it is the secret of the faithful, not the domain of the masses. 
When he's talking about the revolution, he's talking about something that's happening underground because it's being suppressed, it's being pressed down. And so you can only get it if you're part of that underground movement. It's the secret of those who are committed to the revolution, not the domain of the masses. It's not public domain. It's not, it's not even on the top 10 bestseller list. It is the secret of the faithful, not the domain of the masses. Secondly, the revolution will not be televised because it is constituted by a change in thinking, not by a change in policy. When he was talking about the revolution, he was not talking about the civil rights laws. He was not talking about the end of segregation. He was not talking about any set of policies that would bring about a societal change. But he was talking about a change in thinking. And when he, when he says that it's a change in thinking, he means that when the revolution takes place, it takes place at a level that's so deep that you can't capture it on film. When you become a part of the revolution, that change in your thinking cannot be captured on film. They haven't invented a camera with shutter speed that's fast enough to catch it when it happens. And so the revelation will not, the revolution will not be televised. The third re- reason the revolution will not be televised is because it is to be actively engaged, not passively observed. Meaning you can't sit at home and watch it on television. It's not an episode of the latest show that you like that you can catch on television. You've got to get up out of your house and you've got to get involved in it. You can't sit in your house and watch it go down before your eyes. The revolution will not be televised. Well, I haven't come to you this morning to talk about any racial uprising. I haven't come to you this morning to talk about the overthrow of systemic oppression. I've come not to talk to you about the revolution, but I've come to talk to you about the resurrection. And what I declare to you today is that the resurrection will not be televised. The resurrection will not be televised. You see, Jesus was a very public person. He was extremely public. When he came to ministry at about the age of 30 and he began to call disciples and he walked with them for three years, he did most of the stuff publicly. He did have a private life. He had stuff that he only committed to his disciples and he had a personal life which was constituted by his personal relationship with the Father. But when he taught, he taught publicly. He didn't have any secret teachings and, and you know, said, don't tell anybody I'm teaching this. No, no. He taught publicly. He taught in the synagogues. He taught in the temple. He taught in the marketplace and in the streets. And when he healed, he healed publicly. And he wasn't ashamed of the fact that he had haters. Do you know what it's like to speak in the presence of haters? You know, when you're preaching and you know there's some people sitting at you and they're looking at you with hateration in their eyes. You know what I'm talking about? When they're hating on you. I mean, they don't like anything you say and they're letting you know it with their eyes. You know what? I'm, I'm not talking about people who are numb. I'm talking about people who are actively opposed to what you're saying. Jesus preached continually in the presence of haters. And sometimes he had more haters in the crowd than he had lovers in the crowd. He had more people who were actively opposed to his ministry at times than he had people who were actually in agreement with his ministry. And he made it a point to heal right in front of the haters. He said, I'm not doing anything secretly. He made it a point, and he would know, especially when he would heal on the Sabbath. I preached a message before about how Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And it was interesting that at times when he would heal on the Sabbath, he only had sometimes three hours to go until the Sabbath was over. But he intentionally did it before the Sabbath was over because he wanted to tick some people off. See, Jesus was not very politically correct. He was not careful not to offend people. He was kind of in your face. He was all up in your face, all up in your grill. He would sense what you didn't like, and he would do that thing. 
Why? Because he never was, nobody could ever accuse him of being secret. <clears throat> he did everything publicly. He preached publicly. He taught publicly. He was baptized publicly. He was criticized publicly and he criticized publicly. I was reading through Matthew 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 leading, reading all the way up to the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I saw in Matthew 22, how there's this, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. The, the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders in, in Israel, they were the experts. First, they sent their disciples and their disciples came to Jesus and said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, you hypocrites, bring me a coin. They were, trying to, they were trying to trap him. Why? Because he's living in two realities. He's living under Jewish authority and under Roman rule. And if he said it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's seen as, as, as a sellout to the Romans. But if he says it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's seen as, as a radical that Caesar and the Roman Empire has to kill. So they're trying, they think it's over. Once we ask this question, it's lights out. And he says, you hypocrites, why do you test me? Bring me a coin. And they bring him a coin. Whose inscriptions on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Right. And, and, and all of a sudden, the students of the Pharisees thought, we better go back to school. And they left. <laughs> Jesus said, don't send your, your students to me. Who do you think I am? Why do you test me? And then the Sadducees come. So he's talking to his disciples. The Sadducees come up. And they said, excuse me, Rabbi, teacher. Um, <clears throat> now, see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, so uh, there was a man who was married and he died. The law of Moses commands that his wife goes to his brother. So his brother married her and he died. And then the next brother married her and he died. And there were seven brothers. All of them were married to her. All of them died. And then she died in the resurrection. Whose wife is she going to be seeing that they were all married to her? And Jesus said, you're in error because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In the resurrection, they, are, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but all men are like the angels. But concerning the resurrection, have you not read that God said he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And the Sadducees were like, dang. And they were silenced and they left. So then the Pharisees came themselves. They were like, our disciples failed, the Sadducees failed, so now we're going to fail. And they came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Big debate, historical debate that had gone hundreds of years over this question, and they thought they could definitely stump him with this question. He says, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But by the way, I got a question for y'all. He looks at the Pharisees. The Messiah, whose son is he? And they said, well, he's the son of David. Jesus says, really? They said, yeah, of course he's the son of David. Man, you need to go back to school. He says, really? Well, if he's the son of David, then why does David call him Lord? Now, what are you talking about? He said, have you never read Psalm 110.1? Then the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So why does David call him Lord? And they were like, uh, 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 uh. And it said from that day forward, they never dared ask him any questions anymore. And then he goes into a tirade against them. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he was very public. He disputed publicly. He made people look publicly stupid, right? I mean, he was very public about what he was doing, about what he was trying to accomplish. But then he's taken privately. He's arrested. 
He's tried and convicted, and he is publicly humiliated and and executed before the whole world. And at the moment of his crucifixion, his public ministry came to an end. And now the character of his ministry is not going to be public, it's going to be private. And so Joseph of Arimathea comes and asks for the body of Jesus. And they gave him the body of Jesus. And he took the body of Jesus down from the cross. And he dressed it and cleaned it. And he laid it in his own tomb, a brand new tomb. And he rolled a stone in front of it. And the Jewish leaders went to Pontius Pilate. They said, put a guard in front of the tomb and seal it so his disciples don't steal the body and claim he rose again. Because he said he was going to rise again on the third day. And so Pilate said, go ahead and do it. So they sealed the tomb and they put guards at the tomb. And that was Friday night. From Friday night to Sunday morning, something radical happened. But it was all behind a stone in secret. Everything he did was public. But now all of a sudden, the glory of the Father is doing something in and through him. But it will not be televised. It's not public. It's not put on display. You can't see it. It's, 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 he didn't do it. He didn't raise him from the dead. See, if I were Jesus, now watch this. The angel comes down and rolls the stone away. The, soul, the guards, they see the angel. He's bright. He's shining. And they fall down like dead men. They're scared to death. And then Mary and Martha show up at the tomb. And they see the angel sitting on the stone. And the angel says, you're too late. If you came to see the resurrection, you're too late. It will not be televised. (laughs) When they laid him in the tomb, it was too early. And by the time they showed up on Sunday morning, it was too late. God was doing a work behind closed doors. See, there's some things that God will only do behind closed doors. He won't let you see it. He won't let you participate in it. God says, this is all me. It will not be televised. Now, if I were Jesus, after I rose again from the dead, you know what I would do? I would have marched back into the temple. What's up with that? Annas, Caiaphas, won't there it is. Check out these marks, huh? Nail prints. I would have gone right back into the temple. I would have been like, in your face. Start teaching again. Didn't we kill him? Yeah, that's right, homie. And now I'm resurrected. I would have started like like raining fire on people. Get him again. Oh, yeah. Whoosh. (laughs) You know, that's what I would have done. Everybody would have believed in me. I would have made sure everybody believed in me. I would have went city to city visiting everybody. Come on, we got to go by and we got to go see Lazarus. (laughs) Somebody bring me blind Bartimaeus. Remember them 10 lepers? Find them 10 lepers. Woman with issue of blood. Let's go visit Jairus' house and go sit down and play with his little girl that I raised from the dead. How about the widow of Nain? Let's go on over to Nain. I got to see that little 13-year-old boy that I raised from the dead. That was her son. Right? How about the blind man? You still seeing men as trees? Oh, no, that cleared up for you? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Right? I would have made my rounds. I would have, and I would have started a world resurrection tour. I would have had my disciples book me in every country around the world. You want to talk about sellout crowds. And I would have sold tickets. And there would have been books. And I would have made a documentary called The Resurrection. 
Because see, if I, if I were Jesus, the resurrection would have been televised. But in the wisdom of God, he determined that the resurrection will not be televised. God said, I'm doing this in secret. Isn't it interesting that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the divine reversal of his public humiliation? He was humiliated publicly, but God said, I'm going to reverse it secretly. I'd have been like, Father, that ain't right. I was humiliated before the entire world. And the father says, yes, I know, but the resurrection will not be televised. See, coming to faith in Jesus is about participating in his resurrection. Just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we also should walk in newness of life. Paul says in Romans chapter six, verse four. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have not simply espoused the tenets of a religion. You have not simply embraced the philosophy of a religion called Christianity. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are coming into a relationship with a risen Savior. And you are inviting Him to come take residence in your heart by the power of His Spirit. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you really come to faith in Jesus Christ, something happens on the inside of you. In John chapter 3, Jesus called it being born again. And remember, he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3. He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter again into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, no, 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 no. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Literally what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, when you were born from your mother's womb, you were born naturally and you became a natural man. But when you're born of the Holy Spirit, you become a spiritual man. That is, the spirit on the inside of you is raised from the dead. It's resurrected. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you he has made alive who were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Being dead in your transgressions and sins simply means that you are spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead means you have absolutely no capacity to communicate with God. Absolutely no capacity to feel his presence. I mean literally, God can come stand right next to you and you don't feel nothing. But when you're alive, if God's presence even comes near the room, you're like, oh, 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 you feel that? You've, you ever been the only one to feel an earthquake? That happened when I was a little kid. It wasn't a big earthquake, but I was, happened to be laying on my bed, and all of a sudden the whole house started shaking. And I said to my parents, I said, did you feel that earthquake? And they laughed. It wasn't no earthquake. That's because they were up moving around. And, you know, if the earthquake is small, when you're up moving around, you don't feel it because the house is moving with you. You're moving with the house. But I was laying still, and so I felt the earthquake. And sure enough, that I was at my grandmother's house, and my cousins were laughing at me. But that night, <laughs> that night, we turned on the news, and they said, an earthquake, a slight tremor rocked the Bay Area today. And my cousin, oh, wow, there was an earthquake. You didn't feel it because you were dead to it, but I was alive to it. That's what it's like when the presence of God comes. See, when the presence of God comes, when the love of God is being poured out, if you're alive, you'll feel it. Yes. You'll sense his presence be, being made alive in Christ means that he resurrects your spirit so that suddenly you are sensitive to the presence of God. I mean, think about it. If, if there was a dead man laying here, do you think he would be offended if you stepped on his foot? If there was a dead man here, if you poked him, would he say, ow? 
No, because he's dead, which means he's completely insensitive. And when you're dead in your transgressions and sins, you're completely insensitive to the love of God, to the power of God, to the presence of God. But when he makes you alive, that resurrection power, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, suddenly awakens you to the presence of God and the love of God. And I've seen the most hardened criminals... Encounter the love of God that way and be born again, be made alive. And suddenly they're crying like little babies and saying, oh, what kind of love is this? I've never experienced this kind of love. Why? Because there's nothing more powerful than the love of God. Nothing more powerful than his love. And so coming to faith in Jesus Christ is about participating in the resurrection. It's about receiving that resurrection life. Of Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about, but it won't be televised. You see, the resurrection is the secret of the faithful, not the domain of the masses. A lot of people say, well, why wouldn't Jesus show up? Why do you make it so hard to believe him? Why wouldn't Jesus just show up and show his power? You know, now we have to struggle to figure out how to believe him. Actually, it's not hard to believe him at all. I mean, if you ever read through the Gospels, it amazes me that everybody didn't believe him. It's easy to believe him. I mean, when a man can't see, and Jesus says, see, and the guy starts seeing, that's tangible evidence, isn't it? That's not theory. That's not philosophy. I mean, that's evidence. Right before your very eyes, it happened. Bam! What do you do with that? I mean, when a dude's been dead and in the grave for four days... And the homie shows up and says, remove the stone. And he calls the guy's name, says, Lazarus, come out here. And the guy and the dead guy who's been in the grave for four days comes hopping out of the grave. That's evidence, isn't it? We're not talking about philosophies. We're not talking about debate. We're not talking about theodicy. I mean, this is tangible evidence we're talking about here, right? How could nobody believe him? Even in the triumphal entry, when he enters into Jerusalem and they're, they're screaming, you know, Hosanna, save now. And he gets to the temple. This is my favorite part. He gets to the temple and he sits down and says, bring me three cords of nylon. So what for? So I just need some rope. What for? You'll see. <laughs> Everybody's still screaming, Hosanna, save now. And he starts braiding the rope. Mm-hmm. Why do I? Because it says, and when he had fashioned a whip, he took time to make a whip. My grandmother would say, go get me a switch off a tree. And he goes in the temple and just starts turning over tables and whipping folk. That's the first thing he does. When they say, save now, he goes, okay, get this stuff out of my house. It's written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you made it a den of thieves. And now everybody's mad at him. Isn't that just like Jesus to come into your life? You say, come into my life. You don't know he's going to come in turning over tables, yeah. messing stuff up. Yes. Yes. Come into my home. And he comes in and says, get this coffee table out. <laughs> right? That's because he doesn't come in as a guest. He comes in as the landlord or he doesn't come in at all. We actually talk about inviting him. Yeah. But not inviting him to, to come hang out. and and handing him over the lease, handing him over the deed, right? Right. 
I know that's hard, but watch this. After he gets finished turning over the tables of the money changers and whipping folk, then it says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he began healing them. In other words, he's not trying to destroy your life. He's simply trying to remove the obstacles to the flow of his healing power in your life. See, when he starts turning over stuff in my life, and he's been turning over stuff in my life all of my life. All right, that's it. And he's still turning stuff over in my life. But when he turns something over, he's saying, get that out of the way because I want to pour out my healing power in your life. And it's an obstacle. I'm simply trying to get rid of the obstacles. And as he's healing the blind and the lame, the only people who notice it are the children. And the children start singing Hosanna to the son of David. Interesting, a spontaneous children's choir begins to form around him. And they're the only ones who are seeing this. This healing service breaks out. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, and the children are singing Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees are upset again. And they come and say, do you hear what these children are doing? I want to say, do you see what this man is doing? They're so so busy being mad about what the children are singing that their eyes are completely blind to what the man is doing. I mean, he's healing blind eyes. He's opening deaf ears. He's making the lame to walk. You know anybody who can do that? Jesus says, of course I hear what these children are singing. Haven't you read where it says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, he has perfected praise? Perfected praise. That's why Jesus said, you've got to become like a child or else you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because the children didn't have an agenda. And the children were not bound by their philosophy. And so when they saw him healing the sick, all they saw was him healing the sick. They weren't trying to run it through a grid, through a philosophical grid. They weren't trying to run it through a scientific worldview. They weren't trying to run it through, through the grid of Western culture. They weren't trying to think about their upbringing. And they weren't crying about how, how come they're getting their miracles and I didn't get my miracle. They weren't lamenting what didn't happen to them. They simply saw what Jesus were do, was doing for what Jesus was doing. He was doing marvelous things. He was healing blind eyes. You say, well, I've never seen anything like that. Well, you kind of have. I mean, you just saw a woman this morning in this room who said, I had sickle cell anemia and somebody laid their hands on me and spoke the name Jesus and it was gone. I mean, that is real. Like, that is real. We got people in this room right now, somebody in this room right now who's healed of cancer and angioedema right here at this place. That is real. That is, I mean, there are testimonies in this room right now of people who have met Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about anybody in this church who prays. It's about Jesus. I didn't raise from the dead. Jesus arose from the dead. And so the resurrection is not televised. Why? There's a place where Jesus told a parable. He told a parable about a rich man living in luxury, many flocks and herds. Right next to him was a poor man named Lazarus. It's interesting that his name is Lazarus. Lazarus only had one sheep, and he loved that sheep. He treated it like one of his children. The rich man had some friends over one night, and he was too lazy to go out into his own flock, so he snatched Lazarus' sheep, and he cooked it and served it to his friends. The rich man died, and Lazarus died. Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham in paradise. 
the rich man went into the fires of hell. And the rich man looks across the chasm and sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And this is what the rich man says. Send Lazarus to tell my brothers not to come to this place. And Abraham says, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe it even if someone came back from the dead. And isn't it interesting that a few chapters later, Jesus goes into a city called Bethany and raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. He actually sent Lazarus to tell that man's brothers, don't go to that place. And, and what did they do? They plotted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. You know why the revolution is not televised? Because if you can't believe his words and his works, you won't even believe his resurrection. The fact of the matter is we have plenty of evidence. Evidence is not the issue. But a lot of people say, give me a sign and then I'll believe. Give me a sign and then I believe. And you know, people said that to Jesus throughout his life. And he said, "Uh uh-uh, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But actually he was doing signs everywhere. But he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it. You know, asking God for a sign before you believe is like going to the bank and saying, give me some interest, and then I'll deposit my money. Right. Right. <laughs> give me about 10 years worth of interest, then I'll deposit my money, because I, I need some proof that this thing works. And the bank says, no, no, take it or leave it. You either trust us with your money or you don't. You come to God first and you believe first. And then all of a sudden you see plenty of signs. You get born again. But Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God because the resurrection will not be televised. The resurrection will not be televised because it's about a change of thinking, not a change in behavior. When it happens to you, it looks like nothing happened on the outside. How many of you came to faith in Jesus Christ and went home and you were actually more attractive physically? No? You were still ugly. I didn't mean that. Not not you. Not y'all. I mean, but that's the truth, right? I mean, you looked exactly the same after you got saved. It did not change your physical body. Your clothes weren't all of a sudden in style. Your car wasn't any newer, right? But what happened? It happened on the inside. The scripture says, he who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But what has become new? Your inner man. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't it interesting that in the original creation... God creates the heavens and the earth and then creates man last and puts man in the garden. So it's the creation first, the world first, and then man. But in the new creation, he creates a new man first and then says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the first thing he transforms, this is the power of the new creation. The first thing he transforms is your mind. When he sees a transformed mind, when he sees that you begin to think differently than you used to think, when you begin to think differently about Jesus than you used to think, and you begin to think differently about yourself 
than you used to think. When he sees newness of life in your mind, he sees the new creation has already happened. It's a sign that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Why? Because you've got a new mind. The, revolu- the, re- the resurrection will not be televised because it happens internally, not externally. And some of us, we get discouraged because we don't see anything external change. But it's not about an external change, not immediately. You walk with God, you'll see many external changes, but your faith is not based in any of them. Your faith is based on the fact that by faith in Jesus Christ, you are internally transformed by the power of God. Your mind is renewed. Your heart is transformed. Your will is overcome by his will. Suddenly, by the power of God, Christ dwells in your heart through faith. And you're given power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. It's too deep to see with the naked eye. It cannot be captured by photography. The resurrection will not be televised because it's to be actively engaged, not passively observed. It's not an episode that you watch. It's more like a ship that you board. It's not something that happens in an event. It's an experience. After the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus had a lot of questions. And Jesus, he was sneaking up on them. Two of them are walking on a road. Going, what in the world is going on? People are saying Jesus rose from the dead. Other people are saying that we stole the body. I don't know what to believe. And all of a sudden, a third man walks up on him. He says, where are you guys going? He said, we're going to Emmaus. Me too. Can I join you? They said, Sure. I overheard you guys talking. What were you talking about? He said, man, where have you been? Are you new to these parts? Haven't you heard what's been going on? He goes, no, I have no idea what's been going on. Why don't you update me? They said, you know, about Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God in great signs and wonders and miracles, which he did among the people. But he was crucified and he was buried. But we're all amazed because... Our women went to the tomb early in the morning and they found the stone rolled away and his body gone and they said they saw him and that he was resurrected from the dead. And this strange traveler says, why are you so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Didn't the Christ have to be betrayed before he enters into his glory? And the scripture says, starting with Moses, he led them all the way through the scriptures and opened the scriptures to them and showed them everything that the scriptures had said about him. And they were like, dude, this dude is deep. Where did he come? They still don't know it's him. (laughs) And they get to the place where they're going to stay for the night, and they're about to go into their hotel room. And he says, I'll see you guys later. They said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, where are you going? He said, well, I'm about to be on my way. They said, no, stay with us, please. See, if you want Jesus to stay with you, you've got to ask him. And he says, okay. And he comes into the room, and he sits down. He says, do you have any bread? They said, yeah. They hand him some bread. And he breaks the bread and gives thanks and hands it to them. And at the moment the bread was broken, their eyes were opened. And they went, it's Jesus. And they thought, maybe it's a spirit. He says, touch me. Does a spirit have flesh and bones? Give me some fish. And they gave him some fish and he got his grub on. And then all of a sudden, he vanishes from before their eyes. 
And they look at each other and they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Thomas, on the other hand, is still doubting. (laughs) Old doubting Thomas. (laughs) You know what they called him? His name was Didymus, which means the twin. But the one thing I can't find in the Bible is where his other twin was. Is it you? There's another doubter who's wandering around the Bible somewhere. He has not yet been identified, but maybe he's still at large. Is it you? And this is what Thomas said. Unless I put my finger in his side and see the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. Thomas was the guy who demanded evidence. Does that remind you of anyone? (laughs) Sound familiar? I think there's a twin in here somewhere. And as Thomas is saying it, unless I put my finger in his side and see the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. And Jesus walks up and says, Thomas, and he goes, oh, Lord. <laughs> and he pulls back his robe. He says, go ahead, put your hand in there. Yes. Yes. You see this? Right. Check this out. Right. And Thomas falls on his face, and he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Not everybody's going to get what you just got. Your twin is still out there and he's not going to get it. But blessed is the man who has not seen, but yet believes. Don't be unbelieving anymore, Thomas, but be believing. I'm talking to the twin today. There's a twin in here this morning. And you've been asking God for evidence of his love. You've been asking God to show you a sign. God, if you're real, show me. Let me tell you something. He's real. I'm the sign this morning. The word that I'm speaking to you this morning. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you don't believe me, believe the words. And then he said, believe the works. You know what you've seen this morning? Word and works. He wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants to do something in you this morning. But it will not be televised. What he wants to do in you this morning will transpire behind the stone of your heart. In a secret place where it's just you and God. When God works on you, he works on you in a secret place where nobody can see it. He doesn't need your mama's permission. He doesn't need your daddy's advice. He doesn't even need your understanding. He's just asking you to take a step of faith. And if you would open up your heart to Jesus this morning and allow him to come in. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. If he hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And he said, I'll sit at the table with you and eat with you and you with me. God wants to do something in you. But it's a secret work. It's a hidden work. But yet it's still a very public work. It's a secret and a hidden work because it happens in the secret place of your heart. Where on the inside of you, it never ceases to amaze me that I hear stories about people who received Jesus Christ and their lives were transformed and nobody knew what was happening. You couldn't see it if you looked on their face, but their life changed that moment. 
But it's public because it's also happened to countless other people. People you run into. Bow your heads this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have come into this place this morning to reveal Jesus. To take what belongs to him and to declare it to us. I thank you that you have come into this place this morning to guide us into all truth. And I pray this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would reveal in the secrecy of every heart the power of the resurrection. El poder de la resurrección. I couldn't say that right. Lord, you know. God, I pray right now that your spirit would fall heavy on every heart. That your spirit would fall heavy on every mind. And that you would open us up. Lord, there's some Lazaruses in this room right now, dead in our transgressions and sins. You could stand right next to us and we wouldn't know it because we're dead in our transgressions and sins. You could pour out your love on us and we wouldn't even respond to it because we're dead in our transgressions and sins. But God, I pray that even as our Lord Jesus Christ stood at the tomb of Lazarus and commanded the stone to be taken away, I pray today that you take away the stone. Take away the stone. And speak life into the dead place. I thank you right now that hearts are being opened. I thank you right now that lives are being changed. I thank you right now that the seeds of this word are settling in on hearts. Settling in on minds. And I thank you right now that there's going to be fruit. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I want to ask you this morning. Are you ready? Because he's ready. I'm talking to somebody this morning who's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking to the person that has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ a hundred times. But I'm talking to the person who's never done so. You see, I've never made that decision. Or maybe you did so many years ago that you never walked it out or you haven't walked it out for so many years. I'm not talking to the person who backslid last week and needs to get restored. That's fine. We'll deal with that too. But I'm talking to someone, even if it's just one person in this place this morning, that would say, I need him. I want him. Maybe you felt something prodding your heart this morning as you were listening to this message. Maybe you felt something during the worship that you didn't understand. Let me, let me define that for you. It was the love of God. It was the love of God calling out to you through his son, Jesus Christ. It was the love of Jesus, and he loves you today. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nobody's looking around. This is not to embarrass you. It, it won't be televised. But I just want to know, is there anybody here this morning? You say, I want to take that step. And I want to ask Jesus to come into that place in my heart. And make me alive. Make me alive to the love, the power, the grace of the Father. I want to invite him to come in and be my king.
be my Lord and be my Savior and be my God. Everything changes at this moment for someone. Everything changes. You make that decision, you go home, you look in the mirror, you won't look any different. Your life won't seem any different, but everything's different. Everything has changed. But it's changed at a level so deep that you can't even perceive it with the natural eye. But God's going to give you the spiritual eyes to see and to understand what he's done on the inside of you. And we're going to be here to walk with you every step of the way. You don't have to do it on your own. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and make a commitment to be perfect. That's not what it's about. It's simply about inviting Jesus in and allowing him to change you, to perfect you. And he doesn't come to change your personality. It's not about getting a different haircut. He wants to change your heart. He's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. If you're here this morning and you say, that's me. And I want to take that step. Would you lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. Yes. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that this is a holy moment right now. This is a holy moment. These individuals that lifted their hand, God, you love them so much. And you saw this day in eternity that they would open the door and let you in. God, we rejoice this morning. We rejoice over these precious souls. We welcome them with open arms. We thank you that every angel in heaven rejoices. Father, I speak your blessing. And I pray that right now, as these individuals have lifted their hands and indicated in this body that they're ready to invite you to come into their hearts. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would come in. I pray that you would enter in and I pray right now that you would sensitize their hearts and minds to your presence, to your love. I pray that you would drive away every power of darkness that seeks to oppress them. That you would drive away every power of oppression and depression. Every power of shame and hopelessness. Every power. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd wipe it away And that you would give them even the sensation that they have been washed, that they have been forgiven, and that they have been embraced by a Lord who loves them and who will love them forever. I speak your blessing today, and I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 How powerful is that? Come on, give Jesus some praise. I want you all to stand this morning. We're getting ready to close the service right now. I want to let everybody know um, we have a new offering box on the wall over there. So if you didn't get to give during the offering time, you can give any time now. We're so thankful to have you here today. We hope you have a wonderful, blessed Easter Sunday. Have a wonderful time of food and fellowship with your family. Take a minute to smell the roses. The love of God is crying out to you everywhere you go. Yesterday, you know, Easter weekend is the busiest weekend of the year for for churches. But yesterday, my daughter and I came home about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the sun was shining. The birds were chirping. There was a slight breeze and everything was just right. The gardener had just come and mowed the lawn. And I looked at the lawn and the trees. And I could smell the crispness of the spring air. My daughter and I just 
plopped down there on the grass and played together for about an hour. Just to enjoy the sweetness of God's creation. That's what the love of God does for you. It reconnects you with his love wherever it's found. The Bible says the heavens are telling the glory of God. The wonder of his works declares the firmament. Day unto day utters its voice. Night unto night pours forth speech. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. There's no place on this earth where God's glory and his love is not being shouted at us from the mountains. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and he awakens that place in our heart and we come alive in him, suddenly we can hear it. And we can see it in places we never heard it and saw it before. Life is beautiful. And life is beautiful when you spend it with God. Walking with God. Walking with Jesus. Knowing him as Lord and Savior. That is sweetness of life. That is life as we were created to live it. And I pray that you would know that fullness of life. That you'd walk in it each and every day. And that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. I'm going to give us the benediction and close us in prayer right now. But I'm going to ask if, if you lifted your hand and asked Jesus to come into your heart, would you just come shake my hand? Would you just come let me give you a hug? Would you just come let me say a prayer with you? I just want to meet you this morning and tell you how thankful I am for the step that you took. I know it wasn't easy to lift your hand, but it was powerful. Would you do that? Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering of your children that you love so much. Even though some may be wayward, you are loving us right back into the truth. And on this resurrection day, we rejoice in you as one rejoices in great riches and we say, Christos Aneste, Christ is risen. Alephos Aneste, He is risen indeed. We revel in your resurrection. We give you all of the praise and glory and honor. And in your name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you.